Welcome to In Your Face Live Chat, the brand new podcast where we offer brutally honest viewpoint on some of the most controversial topics in the game of lacrosse. I'm Ryan Danny, former Division One college and pro lacrosse player and Division One college coach, currently living and coaching in the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I'm joined with my co-host, the legend, arguably the best ever to play the midfield position, uh, both from an offensive perspective as well as a face-off perspective, MLL All-Star, former Division One head coach, Andy Towers. Um, can't move forward without thanking Connor Wilson and Lax All-Stars for producing this podcast. It's our first go-around, so hopefully you enjoy it. Uh, we've got a great lineup for the show today, a recap of the weekend of lacrosse, uh, the Shockers, the winners, the losers, players and coaches of the week. Uh, we have a special guest joining us as well, head coach John Torpy of High Point University, an incredible lacrosse mind person and a long-time friend of both Andy and I. Uh, he'll be on to discuss with this, uh, discuss with us this brutally painful topic of early lacrosse and how it's affected the Division One landscape and his program specifically. Uh, we'll finish up getting everyone real pissed off with our picks for the next week's top games. <laughs> but first, but first, uh, Andy, did you check out the dunk contest this weekend? It was ridiculous. Absolutely. Yeah, no, no doubt. First of all, thanks for that lead in, Ryan. I appreciate that. Uh, you know, hopefully your nose isn't growing too far. I'm not sure you can afford that. Uh, <laughs> but I'm humbled by it and certainly uh, appreciate Connor hooking us up with this opportunity and look forward uh, to this weekly podcast. So I'm, I'm excited. So thanks for that. Uh, I did. I saw the recaps of it and was, uh, you know, blown away by the athleticism. I couldn't help but think in watching it. Uh, and remembering back to the days of basic cable and rotary phone, of which, you know, uh, <laughs> when I was in college, and that basically was the new technology, and seeing the best <laughs> players in Jordan and Dominique and, uh, you know, Spud Webb, all those guys going through the dunk contest, and, and it was the, the best of the best in those events. And to fast forward to this past weekend and watch these guys and have no idea who they were or what teams they play on. <laughs> so brought me back to 2014 so when I was up in uh, Harvard watching the MLL play Team USA with my son James and, you know, watching these guys <laughs> hammer the ball 110 miles an hour only to have Zach Thorne from Chicago or wherever he is from come out of the stands. I think he, like, I think he had popcorn in his pockets and came out and shot at 115 and <laughs> You know, ended up having one of the fastest shots ever ever recorded. So I was, uh, it was an unbelievable display of athleticism. Now, it really was. I mean, I don't know if there's a better display or a more obnoxious display of the greatest athleticism in all of sports. Is there a better display? I mean, you got the NHL like All Star. I mean, that's incredible. That's skill. I feel like that's a little more talent than it is like athleticism. Obviously, they're great athletes, but it's really skill. I mean, the, the hands and all that stuff. But, I mean, the pictures – I mean, I saw all the vines. Aaron Gordon, you're right. Who the hell is that guy? And even Zach Levine, I don't really know this guy other than he won it last year. Um, but the pictures were even more ridiculous than the actual vines that I saw. I watched the whole dunk contest from Twitter. It's pretty amazing how you can actually take two hours of content, shrink it down to six seconds, and see every single dunk. Um, but the, the, the dunk – the first off, Aaron Gordon deserves the Stanley Cup for the dunk that he made. It was incredible. Both feet over the mascot, over the horns of the mascot to dunk it. Um, it was 
it was ridiculous. Um, you know, I, I think back to my, you know, obviously you got the Spud Webbs and the Wilkins and, and, and MJ. You know, my favorite, obviously, was Vince, Vince Carter. You know, he, he jumped through the moon. Um, yeah. And the other one was Jason Richardson's in 03 when he did the reverse yeah. between the Michigan legs. State, that was yeah. awesome. Yes. Uh, and then, obviously, you know, the Spud Webb. Well, the next Spud Webb was Nate Robinson, two inches taller. And he's doing right. things like dunking over Dwight Howard. But I don't, I don't really think anyone can compare to what Aaron Gordon did. And even Zach Levine did. And the fact that Zach Levine won, I, I, I think it was ridiculous. I, who was it, Dikembe, that gave him a nine, and he didn't end up winning after that ridiculous dunk. But uh, it was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, so it was definitely a highlight for the first uh, for the weekend for me as well. But one of the biggest highlights for lacrosse uh, this weekend was Hampton University, first Division One historically black college university, to take the field in lacrosse. Uh, Sports Center on the road was there, covered the whole preview and festivities all morning, all the uh, you know drop downs. Uh, they were at uh, they were in Hampton at Hampton University the whole time. Jim Brown did a nice little piece on the game and how you know Hampton's impact has made it. Um, and of course the Michael Crawford piece. Wow, um, I was floored. I kind of lost it when Coach Carter was like, uh, you know, God had you call the right person. Uh, I, I completely yeah. lost it. Um, it, it. It was pretty pretty special. Very very special. No doubt, no doubt. I think uh, you know, there's no question that it uh, you know brings much of the diversity to a sport that has desperately needed it, um, and will continue hopefully to grow in that same direction. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, it's how you define success when you're looking at the goal of Michael Crawford when he set out to make that a sport at Hampton and certainly validation that his mom, Verena, uh, if I'm pronouncing that the right way, was able to pass that passion on and ultimately uh, for Coach Lloyd Carter. So we'll all be pulling for Hampton to continue to be successful and move on. So certainly interesting to see uh, how quickly they make an impact on Division One. Yeah, no, no question. The, the segue into that is, well, they had a great, you know, to, to get to the point to where they got on the field was incredible. Um, but let's face it, the reality set in real quick when four quarters ended, they lost by 17 goals to a Division II uh, lacrosse team. Uh, they've got a long way to go. Uh, there's no question about that. Uh, step one was made, but now he's now Lloyd's got to he's got to get out there. He's got to recruit. He's got to set a, a bigger and better vision for the program uh, in the future. He's got to set a culture there. Uh, you know, he's got to set his teamings. He's got to set game plans. There's a lot for him to do. Step one was no doubt uh, taken care of uh, by getting the program on board. But, you know, it, it's good to see. But, again, you know, now the next step is building it so that uh, it's a desired place to go to uh, for, for a lot of kids across the country uh, that we're seeing. Um, you know, now, segue, obviously, it's easy going to the games of the week here. Um, you know, AT, a lot of games. This is the second week of the season with games. Uh, our biggest slate of games so far. Um, a couple big surprises, certainly for me. What was some of the, what was some of the highlights for you? Uh, what was one game that really jumped out for you? Yeah, well, I think that going into the weekend, you know, there was three or four games that we were all excited about, you know, but due to the uh, the cold uh, with some of those games getting postponed. I think the one that was able to survive was Loyola, uh, Virginia at UVA. You know, UVA winning two of the last past years, one goal games, very close games. I think that, 
you know, this game set up well for Loyola actually coming down, even though they were playing on the road, I think it set up well for them, um, you know, and for UVA to come out and shoot the way that they did. It just seemed like, you know, to start a game over 25, I've never heard of that. Uh, you know, that kind so of So brutal, by the way, if you're an offensive quarter coordinator, how brutal is that? If you're, if your salary is dictated by over 25 shooting, I mean, that's incredible. Yeah, really it's, 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 it's just brutal. But, you know, credit, obviously, uh, Grant Lamont for the goal, 14 saves on 40 UVA shots. That tells you that a lot of them weren't on goal. And, you know, that does. It's just got to make you crazy as an offensive coordinator when, you know, it sounds like they were generating some really good shots. And, unfortunately, you know, we're not, uh, we're not making the goalie make the saves. And that catches up with you. And it kept caught up no with them doubt. this weekend in a disappointing uh, finish for sure. No doubt. Uh, Zeddy Williams, I mean, uh, you know, he obviously he's a better player than what he played uh, this past weekend. Um, you know, Graham Lamone was actually – he was awesome, though. I mean, as much as UVA, you could say that UVA made him look like an All-American goalie, uh, a, a kid to get a first game like that, 14 saves under his belt, uh, was was impressive. I thought, and, and here's here's the other thing is I don't necessarily I didn't actually think that Loyola going into the game was as big an underdog as the rankings said. I mean, where does Virginia continue year in and year out continue to get these rankings? That I mean, other than recruit classes, I, I just don't know. Listen, are they in the top twenty? I think they'll always be in the top twenty just because they're athletically better. Uh, you know, they, they have good coaching. They have the pieces of the puzzle. But for whatever reason, they just fail time and time again uh, in the ACC. I mean, now that there's five teams or back to five teams in the ACC, where does Virginia fall? Uh, do they make the tournament? Should they make the tournament in the future? I just, year in, year out, I, I, the Cavaliers continue to disappoint me. Um, and I just, I, going into that game, I felt like it was Loyola's. I mean, Loyola lost, you know, two one-goal games back-to-back last couple of years in their openers. Drexel was two one-goal games back-to-back prior to that in 13 and 14. I just, I, just, I, I, I just feel like Virginia is completely overrated consistently, um, and I feel like until they actually start getting, you know, unranked, like look at Duke this year in basketball, they're unranked for the first time ever because, listen, they haven't put up, they haven't, they haven't won the games. Um, I, I, so, I, you know what, I, I listen, I, I personally, I had Virginia in that game, which speaks directly on why I had such a short head coaching career in Division One. Uh, but the, the, the reality of Virginia every year is I would equate a parallel to the game of golf, at least for me. Right when you think that you have them figured out, you know, they're, they're the exact opposite. And I think it goes both ways. I mean, I think that every year we come yeah. in looking at the success they've had in recruiting and say, how can this team not be – you know, contending every year for the ACC championship and the NCAA championship. And, you know, they came out and they played a very well-coached Loyola team. Let's face it, that staff is one of the best staffs in the country. They proved it two years ago. And, you know, credit Ryan Moran, but credit Coach Toomey and, 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 and Matty Dewani's guys. Look, they had seven of 11 goals were assisted for Loyola. You consider the fact that offenses are almost always behind the defenses in the first part of the season. For them to come in and have, you know, roughly two-thirds of their goals assisted speaks volumes to how well of a job 
that Ryan Moran did preparing his team to play for a team that, you know, let's face it, athletically is scary. And, you know, yep. they, they yep. decided to run on a team that runs, and that's UVA. Yep. And, yep. you know, if UVA is not going to bury their shots and, the, and, and uh, you know, Loyola is, is prepared to make them pay by running the other way, you've got to credit that staff. They did an unbelievable job. Uh, but I don't think it's the death of Virginia by by any stretch. Um, you know, they go, they play at Drexel, they play Brian Volker. Drexel's, you know, always one of the best coach teams in the country, you yep. know, up in Philadelphia. Yep. You know, you watch. Virginia's going to come yep. back, and they're going to put uh, a great effort in, and I think we're going to see – we're going to be saying different things about Virginia this, this podcast next week. You watch. I hope so. I hope so. Uh, second game, I, I, there's no question. I thought Michigan-Colgate was a huge game. No doubt. Michigan no doubt. in Oosterbahn, in Ann Arbor, beat Colgate, defending Patriot League champs. Uh, there's no doubt that that was – I mean, there is, there is, you know, it's arguable. Is that the biggest win in program history to date? Um, you know, there's some argument there, but it certainly shows – that Michigan one is becoming, you know, a powerhouse. It, it, it's getting there uh, a little slower than most. You look at some of the newer programs. I mean, Richmond, High Point, even BU, Marquette. These newer programs having success a lot faster. Obviously, Michigan did it a lot differently. They took a whole club team. Uh, they're coming along a lot slower. This is the first year, or I believe it's actually it's the first year, sorry, that they only have college recruits uh, on their team right now. No club guys that are still part of it, um, although they do have some remnants. David Joseph is part of that club program. Uh, he's a starting midfielder for them. But is this their biggest program uh, win in history, A.T.? Uh, there's no question about it. Look, you you can reference beating Bellarmine to you know make the league playoffs you know a year or two ago, whenever that was. There's no question. I was a little biased they, to that. They, I was a little biased to that because I was on the sidelines there. We won in overtime, so I was a little biased to that. Listen, if you're not gonna, if you're not going to pump yourself up, who's going to argue? So right, listen, I don't I don't have a problem. I would say that there's no question. This is look. They're beating the Patriot League championship, Colgate, who, you know, two or three years ago, at the end of Peter Baum's, you know, illustrious career, they were starting to turn the corner as that program as well. I think that we're just going to – I think we're just seeing the start of Michigan. You know, you know full well how well they've done in recruiting. And as you said, this is the first year they have four classes of their recruits Look, the backbone to any college sport is recruiting, and you can't 100%. really fairly judge anybody until they have all of their respective recruits in. You know, you talk about Hampton beaten the way that they got beat. Let's see what Hampton looks like in five years when Coach Carter has all of his respective recruits. A big part 100%. of it is, you know, obviously the culture. There's a ton of dynamics that go into it. Seemingly, you know, there only needs to be one or two things to go wrong for the whole thing to go wrong, and everything has to go right. For you know, you have to, for, to to win, but I think this is an unbelievable step forward for Michigan. It's the first game of the year, but you know we're going to see how they answer the bell next week. You know they're not playing at home next week; they're traveling to Philly. They you know they only cleared the ball 16 of 21 times against Colgate, and Colgate, Colgate was playing a drop back ride. Wait until Mike Murphy has a full week to prepare for Michigan. He's one of the best riding coaches in the country, and they're going to have their hands full. Uh, you know, in Philadelphia. And if, if we're saying next week that they're 2-0 and they beat Penn at Penn, um, 
you know, watch out for Michigan. 100%. Uh, you know, a couple things. Kyle Jackson, uh, I, I coached Kyle for his first two years at Michigan. I completely blew it with him. I 100% blew it with him. Uh, <laughs> I played him at midfield, midfield for two, two straight years. Uh, I doubted him. I, I didn't necessarily doubt him at attack. I just, because of transition, I mean, the kid is incredible. I mean, he's a lefty. I mean, he could shoot lights out. Uh, but I was just a little worried at six on six, you know, is he best served at attack? And I just really wasn't sold on it. I threw him in in our tournament game in Fairfield. You know, it was the end of the game, so it was garbage time, and it really wasn't an indicator. But, uh, you know, I, I left the program after that, and I'm really glad Connor Ford, you know, and he didn't even start him at attack last year. So I, at least it makes me feel a little bit better that Connor goes in there and he might have said the same thing about Kyle. Uh, but, you know, well, like, and Connor's – Connor's throwing you a bone a little bit by diluting your decision to put him up at midfield too late the year before he pushed him down an attack. And let's face it, you better buy Connor a beer the next time that you're I do. I Ann owe him big time. I do. I owe him big time. Uh, <laughs> now, I haven't seen Kyle Jackson play too much. I know he's tearing it up. Uh, you know, how much does he make other players better when the ball is in his stick? I see him scoring a ton of goals. Uh, I don't see him getting a ton of assists. Is he somebody that – um, you know, is, is simply a finisher or a shooter, or, or can he do it all? If teams, you know, watch Michigan play, you know, obviously the, the best coaches in the country are going to turn goal scorers into, you know, guys that, uh, you know, have to feed. Um, and they're yeah. going to turn feeders into goal scorers. Is he somebody that can handle, you know, a team that comes out and decides that they are going to, you know, make him become more of a complete player? Does he have that aspect to his game? You know, that, that, that's the question I had. Uh, and I answered the question for him without actually putting him in the position to decide for himself. And Connor obviously got over his high horse. I never did, of course. Connor got over <laughs> his high horse. And said, I'm going to let him decide for himself whether or not he can. Listen, the kid is an incredible, like the ball in the stick, there's no one else on the team. Mikey Schlosser is incredible, but there's no one on the team that you really want with the ball other than Kyle. The ball is not going to come out of his stick. I mean, it's just he is the Canadian, you know, the, 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 the Mark Matthews handling style Canadian. He can shoot lights out. He's tough. Uh, he's a little undersized, but that doesn't mean anything in this game of lacrosse. But I, don't, yeah. I can't answer that question because I never put him in that position. Connor's just now putting him in that position. So we're going to – you're 100% right. Can he – you know, he's going to have, I bet you, he's going to have another three or four goals against Penn. And, and then eventually people are going to catch up. They're going to start the game plan against Kyle. And then we're going to have to figure out whether or not Kyle can handle that. Can he distribute the ball? Can, I, I know he can. He's a great passer. He sees all the avenues. But if he doesn't have his hands free, can he create with his hands free? Can he do it himself? And I just don't know that answer. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see that. The other person I thought that on Michigan, Jerry Logan, he had an, uh, uh, just an awful, awful, awful game against Carolina. But then comes yeah. back out. He only had three saves on 13 shots in Carolina. Yeah. Comes back out to Colgate, 65%. Um, that's lights out. I mean, anyone goalie that's, you know, saving 60, what would you say? What's your bet? Like, what, 55 and higher? I mean, is yeah, a great I mean, goalie? I think 60% and higher is a great goalie. But, you know, again, it depends on what the game plan is going into games. You know, if you're playing a team, obviously, yep. that you feel you're deeper than and you want to run, 
the numbers may be skewed. You know, I remember your junior year, we played Maryland down at, at Florida, and we didn't care if we took 10 shots as long as we scored one more goal than they did. And, yep. Yep. you know, so I think that the, the, the stat is skewed to some degree. I think it's always going to yep. come down to the pace of the game and other things that go into it. Who's winning face-offs? How do they play defensively? You know, are you, are you playing against a team that runs or not? Um, you know, the one, the one thing I will say is, you know, you start to look at Kyle Jackson at Michigan, and it seems that every major contending team has, you know, a Canadian that is tearing it up. And it brings you back to the question is, who's Virginia's Canadian? You know, right, right. Who's and 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 if they're shooting over 25, and uh, you know, you would think that with the Canadian on the roster, they may have been five for 25. With that Canadian going five for five, and it's a much closer game. <laughs> you know, and, right. and was it Cockerton that lit it up for them a few years ago? And you, you gotta. Well, Teddy Williams. Teddy Williams, the native. He's the native, and he had an, an awful, awful game, you know. I mean, but you're right. Where's Where's the Canuck on Duke? I mean, they won a couple national championships without the Canuck. I mean, that was actually one of the biggest stats out there is that they actually won a national championship three times uh, without a Canadian. Um, I, I, I totally agree with you, A.T. I, you know, it, it is. It speaks a lot to, you know, Michigan. With, but here's the next part. Where's Michigan's next Canadian? Right. Well, who is I mean, you, you have to tell us who is it coming in? I, you know that that's the one thing is you know do they have a Canadian on their roster right now with Kyle Jackson who's a senior that's grooming underneath Kyle? They don't. They they don't. Um, and you know again it, it's it's a, it's a it's just a tie into the recruiting process. Um, you know it's a tie into continued development in terms of developing these players and getting the guys who can finish. I mean, bottom line, there's a division one team who wants and needs a score. That's flat out. Right. They need got scores. Uh, and you got to go up north to get the best of the best. There's no question about it. You look at Brad Lott, you know, yep. winning 12 to 17 face-offs. They have five more possessions. And, yep. you know, they take 14 less shots. You know, they pull it out shot Michigan 42 to 28. But yet Michigan won five more shots, and they win a one-goal game. You gotta credit Connor Ford uh, with with educating his goal. veteran offensive players at Michigan on how yep. to finish out a game. Uh, and you gotta have it. Obviously, you know Colgate's gonna keep coming. That's been a signature of that program since Mike Murphy took over. Hundred um, percent. This is a great, great, great win for Michigan, and uh, I, you know, I'd love to see it continue for them. No doubt. One of the biggest things about that Michigan Colgate game, kind of outside the game itself, is winter games and teams scheduling teams in their respective indoor facilities. <laughs> I, I just don't understand the thought process. First off, Michigan should have every single home game in Oosterbahn, just like Notre Dame should have every single home game in that god-awful indoor facility that they have. That's so, I mean, I, they're undefeated in that indoor facility. Penn State, I'm pretty sure Penn State's never lost in their indoor facility. 
You look at all the I look at look at Syracuse in their lifetime program right. history right. with indoor facilities. It is such a home field advantage more than any other home field advantage. I mean, you can only stick 500 people at Oosterbaum while there's a game going on. It sounds like 30,000 people. There's the sound going in. I mean, every in every Division One team should have an indoor facility, and that should be their altar. It shouldn't even be a spring sport. No, they should just no, do it because it's no, such a great atmosphere. Notre Dame playing in that indoor facility. I mean, I remember when we went out there and we played them, you know, when I was at Dartmouth, and my ass still hurts from that game. I mean, <laughs> oh, my God. They just – It was they brutal. Just, uh, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get it, but certainly I do get it. You, know, you play in there every single day. You learn, uh, you know, how to see the ball, and, and you would think that that would be innate, but it just seems like they are a different team you know, playing inside. So, listen, no doubt. It's, uh, if you have that advantage, exploit that advantage. Um, no doubt. So, we'll see. 100%. How about the How about the other game that stuck out uh, was Denver Air Force? You know, you look at that game, and I thought that Denver would destroy them, you know. Uh, but the reality yeah. is, with Air Force, uh, they're always – scary to play any of the military academies you play these guys early i saw jhu play navy on on tuesday night and they just yeah. they seem to get stronger as the games go on and right the they're just so in shape they're so in shape and they play so hard and you know uh the stat that jumps out is the fact that air force held du scoreless in the third quarter you know you got to credit billy wilson and, and coach saramat for making the coach uh, the coaching adjustments to come out and shut them out, I can't remember the last time they were shut out. I think I read on Inside the Cross that it was against Providence, you know, last year at some point, um, you know. But it, it's uh, it's an unbelievable credit to the coaches for making the adjustments and to the Air Force players for continuing to compete. I mean, they almost had it. If Denver doesn't well, have two did. goals in the fourth, they they win a game that's one of the biggest upsets in a long, long time. But of course, right. You know, the Magic Man, Tierney, um, you know, never Get seems to lose those games. He's, he yeah. almost yeah. – he's the only coach, I feel like, that never seems to lose those games, you know, where yeah. for whatever reason they stop playing, but yet in the end they somehow they somehow win the game, you know. so Yeah, it's, uh, it is ridiculous how he's able to pull that out. You know, I mean, he, 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 he coaches – and manages Bill Tierney. He manages and coaches the entire, every aspect of the game, from the water boys to the players to the referees. I mean, exactly. it is, it exactly is right. orchest- orchestration of a game is so impressive. And listen, you, you don't get to be able to do that. You, might, you and I might be able to do that on the field right now. But we don't, have, we don't get to do that until you win three straight national championships in a row at a non-scholarship right. institution. Where, I, don't think, I, don't think, know, I don't think there's, I don't think there's a lacrosse person out there that have, that has taught the referees about more lacrosse during a game than Bill Tierney. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, it is such a, I don't know how much of that is actually correct. No, I don't even know. He just, it's correct at the moment, Ryan. It's correct at the moment. <laughs> and you know what? He's going to go down as the best coach in the history of college Ever. cross. And Ever. listen, he's earned it. I mean, to do what he's done in the sport and for the sport uh, can't be overstated. Um, you know, it is, it's incredible. I was talking to a guy today. I was actually talking to Steve Krause, Peter Krause's dad, 
at the yes. gym, and we were talking about you know Bill Tierney and how he just he he just finds a way to get it done, and whether or not he's recruiting guys that don't have an ego coming into his program or whether they arrive with a massive ego and he brings them into the office for an ego adjustment meeting. I don't know what it is, but he gets these guys to buy in to a team first culture better than any coach on a consistent basis. Hardly almost in any sport. I mean, name another, name another coach that's that, that Bill Belichick. Except except when he plays with giants. You know, and he's a super nice kid. And Bill Belichick is a super nice kid when he plays the Giants. You yeah, know? Um, yeah, yeah. But, but you're right. Good point. Good point. So, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, I will say that back to your point about, you know, mental toughness and, you know, the, 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 the schemes of Air Force to go 5-0. and oh, I made a tweet that said, and I still believe my tweet. I still believe what I think. Uh, but obviously this is one of the anomalies. But it almost came true, too. I said, the best teams every time win the third quarter. The best teams. Yep. You'll see it time and time again. You'll see two teams that are unevenly matched go, you know. And, and you'll see it from coaches. Oh, well, you know, we were five and five, five to five in the first half. And it's like, oh, what was the score after the third quarter? Uh, 13-5. And it's like, oh, right. okay, the better team. Right. One wins the third quarter. Now, to defend my own tweet, obviously the better team didn't win because Denver ended up winning after even a five and zero run. But you could also say, well, one goal difference, and all of a sudden Air Force is the better team because they won the third quarter. And the only way they were actually going to be in that game is if they won the third quarter, and they did. And so, you know, it's to defend myself, but to give credit to where credit's due, which is Air Force. Uh, it's it's really really impressive. Impressive. At uh, players and coaches of the week, players of the week, who you got? Who, who was your guy? Player uh, for, for me, it's a no-brainer. I go back to Tuesday night, uh, Johns Hopkins Navy, Ryan Brown, six goals, one assist, in a double overtime win uh, You know, against a team that has one of the best defenses in the country in Navy. You know, to watch those yep. guys play was just unbelievable. I remember, you know, going back with – you back and forth with you text sort of in the middle of the you know yep. the fourth quarter texting hey, navy looks like they're getting stronger hopkins yeah looks like they're holding on and you know look ryan brown is i you know obviously lyle thompson plays a unique game but i can't remember a more efficient shooter in college across than ryan brown he simply yeah. not only does he have the juice to overpower a goalie from 15 yards, uh, you know, his mechanics are off the chart. He doesn't ever, you know, waste an opportunity. And very rarely does he miss the goal. And he always makes the goalies have to move to save the ball. And it seems like everything is low and away. And it's the weird thing is, is when he's on, you know, it, it always seems like the goalies have absolutely no clue where he's going to go, yet every shot is low and away overhead. And right. uh, so he's my player of the week to step up in a huge game in a big rivalry that was super close when the other team started to, um, you know, gain momentum. Uh, Ryan Brown, my player of the week. That's, uh, that's a great one. One of the things that I know, first off, everyone always, and I'm going to go not a down on Ryan Brown. I mean, Ryan Brown's an incredible shooter. 
um, once committed to Dartmouth uh, for a hot, quick uh, few months, right, AJ? That's great. Um, yeah, that's right. Hey, we did our job. <laughs> we did our job. That's right. Uh, he was one for a hot sec. He was, uh, you know, a big green. He was, he was part of the big green, but, uh, yep. uh, you know, in terms of his shooting, one of the things that I see is he has got a monster bookshelf in his stick. And so yep. coaches, you know, I, I look at youth coaches today and youth coaches like watch Ryan Brown, watch him like shoot over him. It's incredible. Listen, his form is awesome. And his ability to do exactly what you said, he put it low and away, is awesome. And, yes, he has one of the very, very, very rare abilities to pummel it from 15 yards. How many guys in Division One lacrosse, Division One lacrosse, can hammer it home for 15? Not very many. In fact, Not they many. have a lead. He's, he's, he's automatic. I mean, he, he seems automatic. That's how it feels. Uh, it, Every time he gets the ball, it feels, yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible. And so I think if I, I shot him, with his stick, it would go behind me. If I shot an overhand <laughs> well, shot with his stick, I would actually throw it behind me on the follow-through on a low to high riser. <laughs> <laughs> so well, that's my point, because then I'll tell the same coach, the same coach who says, watch Ryan Brown shoot overhand, shoot overhand, and then the same coach will bitch as a little kid who has the most obnoxious flip in a stick, and it's the only way for the kid to keep the ball in a stick, to shoot hard enough, to shoot like Ryan Brown in that. Now, listen, I'm not telling everyone to shoot three-quarter. I'm not telling everyone to shoot sidearm. What I'm saying is that everywhere we progress, you know, a little youth kid cannot shoot anything but overhand because he's not strong enough to shoot it sidearm. You know, he's just not strong enough to hold the stick sidearm or on the hand. It just looks awful. I got it. But then there's this, this whole, like, middle ground where you have these, you know, middle school kids who are growing the size of me uh, right now. And then you have the high school kids. I mean, yeah, there's a balance between being able to change planes in your shot to the stick that you have. I mean, A.T., you were a great shooter because you were all deception and you were strong as an ox, and you were able to put the ball exactly where you were able to put it, but you used body deception to do it. Ryan Brown uses heat and a stick, and he has incredible accuracy. He uses his elbow to front end his shot every time the ball falls right. every time and goes right where he wants it to go. The interesting question to be, you know, you consider the best shooters do the best job of marrying up, you know, deception with placement and, you know, quick release. Right. It would be yep. interesting because he's got such a bomb. It would be interesting to interview some of the goalies that have played against him to see what kind of deception he front ends his shot with. You know, is he so true? Is he really is he really showing high and then he just overpowers him low and that's what makes him so late? Because it doesn't even look like they move, you know, or does he just say, right. you know what, I'm going to overpower you uh, and that's just going to be it. I, I, you, you know, there has to be some body language that tells these goalies that he's going to stay high because every once in a while he does throw it high, but yep. again, it, it just seems like they don't even move and you have to go to the dynamic of deception, uh, you know, as a source of, of why they are so late to get down to a, a, a shot that the shooter seems to shoot 85%, you know, of a shots down low. I, I just don't know that, but hundred percent. I agree. Uh, my, two, my two players of the week, I have two players of the week, and they're both goalies. 
Uh, and I give this because I was the shooter that shot 100 miles an hour at these poor <laughs> bastards all the time. And I feel really bad, but the guys were able to do it week in and week out. Grant Ramon from Loyola. And maybe, yeah. maybe some way I should actually give it to the Virginia offense for him being player of the week. I mean, out of the 14 saves, I'd say a good five, six of them were right in his stick. Uh, and then been able to kid like that to gain confidence and have a great game, right? We always tell, we always say to kids, you know, you're bailing out an average goalie, making him look good, but feeling great. Right, it's, it's like the worst thing you could do for yeah, goalie. Think about, think about, think about, you know, he's a goalie. Uh, he's the goalie at Loyola, and Virginia goes over twenty-five. It's like having, you know, a catch with somebody who's never played lacrosse before, and they don't know where the ball's going. It's like you can't help but get hit the nuts immediately. And the fact <laughs> that this guy is actually making saves, he's catching those, you know. But I right. hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. Right, and then the second guy for me. Uh, Jerry Logan, anyone who gets – I mean, I, imagine a goalie in the, on the trip back. You're going from Carolina after having three stays on 13 shots. Right. Getting on the bus to get to the flight, to fly home with the kids that you want. You want nothing to do with because you feel like – and it wasn't just his fault. But you feel like, wow, I was the disaster. You really weren't because guess what? The other side, Balkum was just as bad in the first half, too. I mean, it was, it was incredible. But, you know, then you get, you get pulled. Your four-year starter gets pulled. And you get back to Ann Arbor. You're like, I can't. And then you got to now grind it out for five days and come back against the Colgate team, who is a very good team, and go 65%. Uh, I mean, that takes a lot of guts. It takes balls. It takes a lot to be able to do that. I'm giving yeah, him mental player toughness. of the week. I mean, mental toughness. Mental that, toughness. That, that, that parallels Elliot Spitzer's mental toughness when he ran for New York City <laughs> Comptroller after a huge prostitute scandal that ended up with the divorce of him and his wife, Silda, who stood by him. You know, uh, oh, listen, so it's, uh, it's, it is incredible bounce back. So it, it speaks volumes about – listen, it also speaks volumes about what the Michigan staff did to get his head right and right. let, you know, let him see that ideally for them that the UNC game was an aberration. So we'll find out yeah. against Penn. We'll find out against yeah, Penn. Yeah, no doubt. Who's your coach of the week? Uh, that's easy for me. It's John Paul. You know, again, it goes yeah. back. I think big, biggest signature win to date for that program. Uh, yeah. You know, and they're just getting started. They've got phenomenal yeah. players in the program. They've got a phenomenal offensive assistant in Connor Ford that – you know, yep. knows how to educate his offense on how to manage the game down the yep. stretch. And, you know, ideally for them, they're going to be able to get their defensive schemes together to uh, complement an offense in a face-off guy that seemed to be, you know, right there with the best. So, again, we're going to find out. But for me, it's John Paul and his staff. John Paul, Coach. No, this is don't don't disagree with you at all there. My uh, my coach Eric Saramat. I mean, wh- what yep. that man has gone through in his uh, you know recent years, uh, you know, and, and what he's done. Uh, it, 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 it's truly incredible. And and, and listen, I, I don't believe in moral victories. I hate moral victories, and it wasn't a moral victory. 
But, but you had two when the Patriots to... lost to the Giants in the Super Bowl. You had two big fat ball victories there. Because like, no, no, each season, I great would, regular seasons. I was a part of your staff, AT, and I'm very, very sure that I never talked to you for a good two weeks. Two weeks. It was actually two and a half weeks because well, I had to get through yes, the sports yes, center afterwards. You certainly talked to me on the two weeks leading up to the Super Bowl, Ryan. There was nothing okay. left to talk about. <laughs> yeah, you said it all. You said it all. Uh, uh, Randy, my, uh, just just wing it up there. But Eric, Eric, Eric Matt, uh, I mean, what a, what, a, what a guy that he's done. And I'll tell you this, Air Force is not getting worse. Not even close. The recruiting that they're doing, uh, whatever they're doing up there in Colorado Springs or out there in Colorado Springs, we all need to drink their water because uh, they're mentally tough, they're physically tough. Uh, yeah. They've got it. They, they're buying in. Uh, all those things make me feel like Eric Saramet is coach of the week for me. But uh, we're going to take a quick call. break here. It's a great call. We're going to take a quick break here. Really quick for you, we'll return with head coach. John Torpy, head coach at University uh, yes. uh, of High Point, yes. High Point University, to talk with us about crappy weather, scheduling, and how awesome it is to be in the South in February. Maximize your comfort. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. Our special guest for the day is John Torpy, head coach at High Point University. John's led the Panthers in its first three seasons in program history to two winning records, two conference tournament championships. Uh, most recently beating Richmond in 2015 for the Southern Conference title and an NCAA tournament berth. John has been a longtime friend of Andy and I, where he's coached at Dartmouth College with us for two years, and prior to that, five seasons with the University of Denver. John, how are we doing today? Good. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, Torp. No problem. Good to have you. No problem. No problem. Uh, so, Torp, uh, one of the biggest things, uh, you know, in, in recent arguments is this early season uh, lacrosse and the weather and all that kind of stuff. It's, it, for me, it's pretty painful to continue to see on the Twitter sphere and everything like that. But, you know, one of the big questions we wanted to kind of ask you was, what's your goal in putting together an annual schedule for High Point? Well, I mean, basically, we just want to play the best teams. And we uh, obviously it's nice now that we have a conference schedule late in the season. Um, but it's getting harder and harder for us with some of the success we've had early on to get games with teams that are in that, you know, 10 through 40 range. And, you know, what we're, I mean, what we ended up doing this year, we ended up having a lot of really good top 10 opponents. Um, and then we've got, you know, a really good out of conference schedule, but I just see it getting harder and harder. And I think that all the new teams that are still not um, maybe looked at as, high-end victories for some of the more traditional programs are going to continue to have struggles with scheduling. So, I mean, for me, we'll, we'll, we, we do live by the phrase, you know, we'll kind of play anybody at any time at any place. And, um, you know, hopefully we can continue to put together, you know, as good of an out-of-conference schedule as we were this, this, uh, this past season. So, Torp, do you, when, you, when you're scheduling these teams, obviously you have some geographical, uh, geographic teams that are super high-end in Carolina and Duke right there, but obviously you also get people that are traveling down for spring break. Are you trying to schedule, uh, you know, I, I would imagine that it would make sense that you're going to try to schedule aggressively enough out of conference so that if – God forbid you don't get the AQ of winning your your conference, that you're still in a position if you get some big out-of-conference wins to get an at-large berth for the NCAA tournament. Is that a guiding factor, or are you just thinking, you know what, well, we're just going to schedule the best teams that we can and then try to leverage that attractiveness to 
future recruits? It's a good question. I think early on we had a little bit more um, – it was it was a little easier for us to schedule when we were a bit more of an unknown, and um, we would get the teams that would come down here to play Duke and Carolina to come over and play us while they were down here for spring break. So it always kind of, I always kind of felt like our schedule would be you know solid with those with those games to be able to come over here. We're you know 50 minutes or an hour away from those guys depending upon what school, but it's gotten progressively harder. And I think you know beating some teams that are in that top 30 has, you know, put us in a position where a lot of those schools now know that they don't need to come to Carolina because it's not a guaranteed win anymore. So, you know, I would love to say it's, you know, ideally like I I have a, a kind of a template for what I want to do for our schedule, but we're really at the beck and call of, you know, who's going to come down here and who's going to play us um, or give us an opportunity to go home and home with them. So it's not a, it's not as calculated as, as maybe I'd like to see it be. It's not as, you know, um, maybe – um, I guess for me, it's not it's not as easy as it has been, but it's still an opportunity. You know, we, we've been fortunate to have some teams that have stayed on our schedule. We've been fortunate to have some teams that we can continue to do home and homes with. But yeah, it's it's been uh, it's been probably one of the biggest struggles is you know with the success we've had, being able to get good games. You know, and being able to right. since they're good games, of being able to play. You know, those 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 guys that give you the opportunity to get in as an at large. Good. I mean, it's a good What's, problem to have. Obviously, it creates more work for you, but. You know, the fact that teams, you know, aren't as eager to play high point as they were in your first two years speaks volumes about what you guys have been able to do there. Certainly you've had some great wins, uh, you know, in in the past few years. You put a real scare into Duke as well. You know, the upside of beating high point versus the potential, uh, you know, misperception that you're losing to a team that you shouldn't lose to. I think that, um, you know, while it creates a problem, it's a great problem to have and probably one that you can raise. Yeah, no doubt about yeah, it. No doubt, about it. no doubt, no doubt. What's your position, Torp, on midweek games? Do you try to avoid midweek games? Uh, do you like the week preparation? Obviously, I know uh, as a kind of coach you are, you love you know prepping for games. I uh, love scheming games, uh, but do you try your best to avoid midweek games? No, I actually don't mind midweek games. I think they're you know for us, we like playing them earlier in the season. Uh, in conference, we try to stay away from midweek games. But you know, if if we had an opportunity to play uh, a team like Duke or a team like Carolina or a, or or a, or a really good you know game that was going to give us an opportunity, like you guys said, to maybe win and get Matt large berth um, or prep our guys for a certain part of the season, mm-hmm. we wouldn't be opposed to it. But I like playing the midweek games early in the season. I mean, for us this year. We start um, with a with a pretty aggressive schedule. I mean, we played Duke to open up, and then uh, a couple of days later, now we're playing BU, and then we play you know Maryland that next Saturday. Then we play the next Tuesday against Virginia. Then we play Robert Morris that Saturday. So, wow. Um, I've always felt like the midweek games, you know, for us early in the season are going to kind of mirror our later season games because you know, where we are in our conference, there's a good possibility that, you know, if we were able to win our conference, fortunate to be able to do that, we would probably play a play-in game. So you're talking about, you know, with, with conference championship, a Thursday, Saturday, and then a Wednesday, and then potentially another Saturday game. So you, you have to, like, have your team prepared for those moments. Um, but, you know, I, I do – I'm one of those people that does like the February games because it gives you an opportunity to, to, to have a little bit more space in between, especially later on in the season. So you're, 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 you embrace it, especially out of conference. Obviously, you know, you like a full week between conference games, which makes sense. So you're scheduled three ACC teams in the first five games. Are all of those on the road? 
you playing in Charlottesville as well? Yep, we're playing uh, all those on the road. Yep. So we play uh, three of our first four games away and, and uh, against, you know, and all four of those guys are pretty formidable opponents. So it'll, it'll give us a good – I like playing those games, Kobe. We scrimmaged Carolina a couple weeks ago, and those guys were able to pull out a lot of our deficiencies. And we've got some younger guys. So yep. it's, uh, it's, a good, it's obviously, like, like everyone knows, it's a good measuring stick for us. And I think this Cer- game certainly was, was, was one for us too. Certainly eliminates any wide-eyedness when it comes to the second half of the season, at least for the freshmen, right? <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. Wow. Well, uh, so, Torp, uh, building on, on RD's previous questions, you know, you look at the February games, you get a lot of people that are whining about, you know, that it's not fan-friendly. I'm sure, you know, as a college coach, and this being your passion but also your profession, uh, I'm sure you would like to, you know, increase the fans enjoyment of the game but at the same time you know you've got a job to do and and how well you do your job determines the quality of life that you can create for your family um you know with these february games being in you know north carolina where you are geographically do you feel like the february games favor the warmer climate teams in that you aren't competing for the attention uh, you know, against the cold for your, your, your players' focus and passion to be out there? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's funny. I mean, I, when I first got down here, I thought this was a warmer climate, but it's been freezing cold down here. Um, and, uh, <laughs> not, not Hanover cold. Not only is that temperature cold, that's also liberal cold. Sorry. Liberal cold. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, – I mean, we um, we've had a couple of mispractice days this year for snow, and you know it's not the it's not the same measuring stick as you get up north. But you know, down here we don't have as many plows or you know the the manpower to be able to get the snow off the field. So I don't know if it I don't know if it hurts or helps. And I know a lot of the teams that, that end up playing these February games, you know, have indoor facilities that you know allow them to be able to do some stuff up and down the field. I'd like to think it matters. Um, but I think that the teams up north are smart enough to be able to make the game a six-on-six game if they're not that well-versed in their riding and clearing game. Um, and I think some of the teams up north that have the indoor facilities take advantage of um, some of the early games and getting teams to come up to their place and, and putting them into situations where they can, you know, do some things riding-wise and, and kind of make the game a little tighter in the middle third. So uh, I'd love to I'd love to say it does. I'd love to say it matters. I'd love to say, you know, we, we, you know, we try to, get teams down here um, in February. But my, my biggest thing with February lacrosse that, that I think is a plus is just the pure fact that we can, we can play, you know, maybe more of a traditional football schedule and have, you know, prep going into games. Yeah. Guys be fresh going into games. I think that helps a lot. I mean, for us, you know, it seems like some teams do want to come South still, I mean, to play us, which is great. And so, you know, it's scheduling wise, it makes life a little easier to have a couple more dates that you can throw at people. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm a proponent of, of, of kind of keeping the schedule the way it is. I mean, if you're going to do anything, maybe take away that first weekend in February and make things start on the second weekend. But, uh, you know, with some of these conferences now and, and teams, you know, with, with conferences with, you know, over, you know, eight, nine teams, it's going to be really, really hard to start the season later and have these guys be able to play their conference games on Saturdays. Right. Well, it could, and it could work both ways as well. I mean, let's face it, if you get Southern teams that aren't necessarily used to the cold in the South, it almost could work in reverse. You know, uh, I know at Dartmouth it was, it was like we'd get to April and we would be hoping that it would snow because certainly teams do not <laughs> want to come up and play in Hanover. Um, 
you know, and uh, yeah, the good thing is, is the weather didn't disappoint you. It was right there with snow and <laughs> 32 degrees at the end of April. So, uh, well, interesting, interesting. That's great. That's great. So, Torf, um, you know, everyone's looking for a solution to this. Uh, everyone's looking to, obviously, the media is covering it from a fan's perspective, uh, and they think that, for whatever reason, they think the lacrosse is not good. Um, you know, one of the big things that's been, you know, proposed is moving championship weekend. Um, I would love to know your thoughts on, one, uh, you know, should we move championship weekend? And two, you know, that's your personal opinion, but two, if championship weekend was is moved, do you think scheduling really changes? Um, I'm not sure. I think you got to put some parameters in on the front end in February if you're going to change the scheduling um, and have a and have a start date. I mean, if 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 the final four weekend being moved is basically to you know try to get teams to stop scheduling in February, I think they need to somehow, in some way, shape, or form, be able to mandate that and have an official start mm-hmm. date. I'm not. Um, I'm not. I'm not. I guess I'm kind of indifferent on moving Championship Week, and I think the one thing with championship weekend that becomes tough is just the level of play on that Monday morning um, with two teams right. that just literally played the day before with, you know, or two days before with one day of prep. I think the game could right. probably be maybe a little bit more. Um, maybe the game could be, you know, a little bit, a little bit better played, having guys be a little fresh, but I do like the dynamic I have it on Memorial day. I think that's a, you know, a great holiday and, and, you know, traditionalist lacrosse fan. I think uh, that weekend is pretty special. I love, you know, having all the final fours in one, in one place, or sorry, all the, uh, the final four, obviously in one place and having all the championships in one place. I think that, you know, makes it fan friendly. I don't know how that would change if, if the championship weekend were, you know, final four for division one, one weekend, and then the next, you know, whatever that was the next weekend or the next five days, six days, whatever that is, you're going to play the, 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 the championship game for division one, two, and three. I haven't, I haven't really thought that much about it. I'm just trying to figure out how to keep our guys in a position to win games here. So uh, I let the higher ups <laughs> figure all that stuff out. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, last support as we uh, move towards the end of the week, obviously, uh, your upcoming opponent, Maryland, uh, John Tillman and his staff have done a, a really, really good job of uh, making a move toward winning a national championship, which, you know, hasn't been in College Park in, uh, I don't know, 30 or 40 years, something like that. What's your game plan going into that game? How do you slow a team down that seems to have, uh, you know, a lot of momentum as a program and certainly uh, a stable full of some of the best players in the country? Yeah, I mean, you look at those guys from top to bottom, defensively, um, you know, offensively, and it'll be interesting to see what they what they can do at the faceoff. Acts losing a pretty good faceoff guy, but um, they're excellent. I mean, for us, it's a short turnaround, and um, you know, we can't really put together uh, too in depth of a game plan. So we're trying to do some really simple things on both ends of the ball to, you know, try to um, you know gain some advantage there, but. I think anytime you play Maryland, you know, you're going to see a team that does a really good job possessing the ball on offense. You're going to see a team that's really, really disciplined on the defensive end of the field. And, um, you know, they can get up and out in transition as well. They've got some fantastic attackmen that can, they can put the ball in the back of the net. But um, we're looking forward to it. I mean, it's a great challenge, you know, to be able to play those guys in a quick turnaround type of format. You know, like I said earlier, it kind of mimics, you know, what we want at the tail end of the season, which is, you know, compete, do well in our conference championship, have the opportunity to play a couple of days later uh, against an incredible team. And, and this, you know, this 
this week gives us that. So I got all the respect in the world for their staff. I think, you know, all those guys do a fantastic job and, and uh, you definitely know you're going to face a team that's, you know, very, very good from an IQ standpoint, uh, a team that's pretty calculated on both sides of the ball. And, um, you know, it's hopefully we can give those guys a good battle. You mentioned face off is a huge component. Obviously, you know, they lost their stud, but with Henningsen coming in as a freshman, have Henningsen and Woodall faced off against each other, seeing that Woodall is from Maryland and Henningsen's from Northport, you know, two of the very best, probably the two best, best freshman face-off guys in the country, a huge component, you know, the outcome of the game, obviously whoever is able to control that will have the ability to dictate sort of the pace of the game. Do you know if those guys have gone head-to-head in the past? I don't know. I haven't, I haven't actually talked to Alex about that. I know, uh, you know, for us, we're pretty fortunate to face off X to have two uh, really special guys in, in, um, in Alex Woodall and, um, and Jamie Peluso has been uh, just incredible for us the last three years. And I think both those guys yeah. are, you know, challenging each other pretty well. And then we've got a freshman, Brennan Savoy, that, you know, we, we had a scrimmage the other day and Jamie and um, Alex were on one team and, and, um, and um, Brennan Savoy was on the other team and Brennan's team ended up winning and they, he had some good answers for those guys. So, Right. Uh, like what we have at the face-off X, I think we, you know, have a good balance of, of youth and experience, and, and we got some guys out there that can do some different things with getting in the hole, playing a little bit of defense, playing some substitution game and early offense. But uh, yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how they do. And you know, you got one older guy and a couple younger guys out there next Saturday, so it should be uh, it should be a good battle. I'm looking forward to you know seeing if we can have some success up there. Last question I have for you. Uh, you know, in terms of the lunchtime hoop games with you and Pat, and, uh, you know, is, is the level of contact even come remotely close to the car accidents that seem to take place on a daily, uh, you know, a daily basis between you, RD, and I? I mean, I know I felt like I was playing against two refrigerators. Um, no. <laughs> a lot of outside shooting, a lot of outside shooting down there. Yeah, a lot of pick and roll, a lot of outside shooting from me. Um, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but towards the tail end of our games up there, I started to wear rib pads. Uh, just to <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny talk because I started wearing shoulder pads. That's what that's, <laughs> I went more. I went more offensive than I did defensive in the terms of equipment that I was wearing. Oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, those are some epic battles. Those are some epic well, battles. Oh my gosh! Well, look, Torp, we uh, we really appreciate the time. We know you're super busy. Uh, good luck tonight. Uh, I'm pulling for you, and uh, and we appreciate all your time. Best to your family. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Take care. Uh, interesting to see that uh, Torp. That was that was great stuff from Torp. Uh, you know, obviously he's got his perspective given where he is in the Division One landscape uh, in terms of you know who he schedules, who he decides not to schedule, what his league looks like. Uh, but it was interesting to see that he likes to take advantage of the big time teams early in midweek. Uh, so you can obviously take that on the other half. If you're a big team, you don't want to schedule the midweek games with a team like uh, the Panthers at High Point. Uh, but he also mentioned that I thought was really interesting that he does like to uh, mimic the beginning of the year to what he will probably see at the end of the year. Um, I, I thought that was really interesting stuff. But in terms of you know, championship weekend. So many people are talking about championship weekends and you know midweek games and coaches not you know not liking midweek games. I just don't think I, I just can't 
stand the bitching that happens in the media about the cold weather. Uh, I, I think that every sport has its difficulties. I mean, bottom line, we're in the spring, and the spring really doesn't start anywhere in the country, for lacrosse specifically, outside of the real southern ACC teams till April. I mean, even in March in Baltimore, it's not the best weather. Um, so, you know, we all have our difficulties. But I just can't stand that bitching that goes on because even if they do move championship weekend, and we talked about this AT where, you know, let's just say you have four to five midweek games a year, you move championship weekend two or three weeks you're still going to, unless you have parameters on the front end, you're still going to have midweek games or you're still going to have games all the way into early February because coaches are now going to take the five or so midweek games. No question. Have, and no, they're no going to push, push them earlier. I mean, that's all they're listen, really going to do. I, 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 listen, I, I agree with you 100%. They're always going to take advantage of every single opportunity they can to gain any little advantage over their opponents. They're always going to yes. do That's their job. Okay, that's their job. And, right. you know, I agree with you 100% regarding the life of the cold. Look, at the end of the day, it's a fun sport to play. It's a great sport to watch. But the college coaches, their job is to go out and win games within the framework of the rules, and their family's quality of life is directly linked to their ability to do that. Okay? Yeah. And, yep. look, what, what, what are people going to gripe about next, that it's raining in April? I mean, come on. Right. As long as it's such a shame for both teams, what difference does it make? You know, uh, I, I, I agree with you 100%. I can't stand that people are actually whining about that. Toughen up, deal with it. It's the same for both teams, that sports. Right. right. Um, here's, so, here's, here, here would be my last point on this. Let's just say the NCAA puts in a rule you can't start practices like the Ivy League until February 1st. And then let's just say, you know, you got a three-week preseason. And that, you know, the first game of the year starts, say, I don't know, February 20th or the 26th, whatever you want to do. And then they push the national championship off. What are we going to read from January till basically March 1st from the media who bitch about the games. I mean, I, how many community service articles can you handle in the media about teams? And, like, listen, it's all great stuff. I love it. Like, you know, teams giving back to communities. And, I, you know, I read the first, say, 10 in the beginning of the season because there's just so much dead air from the media companies. And all of a sudden, now they want to push the season. I mean, here's the thing. The reality is, is everyone wants the games to start because they want losers. I mean, everyone wants New Jersey to lose by 15 goals to Princeton in the first goal of the you know, game of the season. It's like, take that, you econ major who's not really playing, but yet doing so many things in the outside. It's just like, it's so painful that these people who bitch about the cold weather want the season to end later, and then all of a sudden it's like, all right, well, now you're going to fill that time with what? I mean, as it is, we're edgy. I mean, I know you, and, and you know me and lacrosse. I mean, it comes to November. We're done with the recruiting circuit. And how fast do we want the lacrosse season to turn around? And I can't wait for a team like High Point to play, you know, say Towson or Delaware on February 2nd. I can't wait. I can't stand January. There's just no, there's nothing going on. There's nothing going right. on. Right. Well, you know, the good news is that it's still football season. The real challenge is once the Super Bowl ends, is the lead-up to lacrosse season. Unfortunately, uh, it's a short duration with the current setup. Listen, I don't think no that it's going to be a priority of the NCAA to move these games at all. I don't think that they uh, – I don't think the sport generates enough money for them to be overly concerned. Look, if they haven't put the brakes 
on the speed of the recruiting process, which we all know is irresponsibly paced, they certainly aren't going to move the championship weekend back to a later date because the fans don't like sitting in the cold. Wear a hat, right. shut up. Right. <laughs> right. Right. So true. It's so true. I mean, the one thing I would say, and Tork kind of made and alluded to it that I thought was really, I think is important for us for, is moving championship weekend off like that Monday. I mean, to, to have the greatest games in our sport, by far, hands down, there's no better two games in our sport than the Final Four. It's some of the yeah. most beautifully coached, beautifully played. Um, you know, fans are there. And the atmosphere is just it's perfect. It's lacrosse to its tee. But yet, you know, two days later, or not even, you know, 36 hours later, you have another game that a lot of people actually don't even go to. I remember growing up that I couldn't go to that Monday game because we couldn't drive back you know, in time for me to get to school the next day on Tuesday. So we missed the national championship all the time. But I knew that going to that Saturday games to see those two games is the greatest thing. To move that championship, I really think that they can do a better job aligning maybe, you know, a D2 and D3 national championships, putting them on that Monday, and then waiting for that one game, that solid game that we're going to have for that next week. It's the culminating factor of lacrosse on the championship day. You know, that's that's just my opinion. If they're going to do anything, I feel like they should at least change that because it's so sloppy. It's really sloppy lacrosse, I think. Well, I think that, you know, what would be interesting is if they did move that, it may make the teams that are non-scholarship programs, the Ivy League teams, uh, you know, and some others, it may make them a little more competitive if they are fortunate enough to win on Memorial Day, you know, a a one-day break going in, to a national championship game against a team that is an ACC team or a Big Ten team that, you know, let's face it, just has simply more depth. Um, right, no doubt. Know, that no may doubt. minimize the dynamic of depth playing a role in the outcome on Monday should, you know, an Ivy League team, whether it's Yale this year, hopefully it's Brown, uh, you, know, but, but, <laughs> right? you know, if one of those teams make it, I can see that you know, one-week layoff between the Final Four and the National Championship, creating a little bit more of an even playing field for the teams that don't have the benefit of more depth on their roster. Um, no doubt. Know, no to doubt. echo Torp's sentiment, just as a traditionalist, I love the, I love the dynamic of them playing on Monday. Um, it's the perfect finish to usually a, a, a weekend without regrets uh, <laughs> you know, on Memorial Day weekend, depending upon the weather. Um, yeah, but you know, we'll we'll see what happens. I don't think we're going to see that change anytime soon. Well, no doubt, no doubt. So uh, we'll be back uh, in a moment to wrap up the rest of the show with our picks for the week, and we're probably going to piss everyone off. Maximize your comfort. We'll be right back. It's time to close out the show with our picks for this coming week. Let's piss everyone off, AT. Uh, there's a new Twitter account uh, called Lax Vegas Line. That's giving yeah. out now to just for fun, of course. Uh, lines of the top 20 games. Couldn't think of a better way to pick games for the week than to use their lines. So uh, here we go, AT. Uh, you got number one, Notre Dame, going to D.C. against number 14, Georgetown, laying four and a half. What do you got? Uh, I got Kevin Warren and uh, the Georgetown wow. I think I think Notre Dame traveling to D.C. to play Georgetown, four and a half is too much. I think Notre Dame wins but I think that uh, Georgetown covers. 
four, four and a half is too much. I got Notre Dame by quite a few more. I just don't know about Georgetown's offense against that Notre Dame defense. Number two, Denver uh, in Georgia against uh, number three, Duke laying one, basically a pick em. I've got Denver. I just, there's just a lot of pieces of the puzzle. I know they only won by one by the Air Force, but I just, I mean, kind of Carazaro plus that piece. I mean, it's just too much, it's way too much for uh, Duke to handle, I think, at this early in the season. Plus, let's face it, Duke doesn't care. It's February. Uh, number four, Maryland, giving five and you're a not half. Gonna, you're not going to let me take my pick? You can give me my pick. I get my pick. Oh, my gosh. That's right. Go ahead. Right, I'm got taking, it. And I'm taking Duke because you blew me off. <laughs> <Take it> Duke. <laughs> and Duke's going to cover. I think Trevor Baptiste will win. Uh, more face-offs than Kyle Rowe, but I think it's to be closer than you expect. And as much as the talk is about Denver's offense, I think the question is going to be uh, Duke's offense versus Denver's defense and Denver's new goaltender. Uh, I like Duke to cover. I like Denver's new goaltender. Uh, number four, Maryland at home, laying five and a half against high point. Our boy, John Torpy, who you got? I'm taking a high point. I think that, uh, number one, Maryland plays a slow pace. I think that Maryland will win the game, uh, although I am rooting for high point. I think that Maryland will win the game, but I think that high point covers uh, five and a half. I think that Jamie Peluso at the faceoff X is going to do a good job. I think that Pete Tracy is going to value possession. John Torpy is one of the best defensive coaches in the country, and I think they're going to come back after a tough game against Duke, and they're going to keep it close uh, and definitely cover minus five and a half. I, uh, Maryland, I, I just don't think that off the high points offense is just going to generate enough. Plus, they have to deal with the monsters. Sylvester Stallone on the other end. Rambo is just going to pummel, pummel goals in. Uh, number six, Johns Hopkins at number eight, Loyola is a pick em. Uh, this one's, this one's, uh, for me, I, I got Loyola. Uh, I, I just, you know, I think it's a pick em. So I got Loyola. Hey, listen, got, I, I, I got Loyola as well. I just feel yeah. like after uh, their performance versus Virginia, they're going to look at Ryan Brown. They're going to come up with a way to limit his touches. And I think in the end, the fact that Hopkins is getting in the bus to travel across town, I think that Loyola on a pick him. I think Loyola wins a one or two goal game. Fair enough. Uh, Carolina at home against Hofstra Lane, four and a half. Who you got? I like the heels. Uh, you know, I just think that I think they're overdue. I think they have the best combination of uh, defensive coordinator and offensive coach in Bresh and Metsy. And I think this is the year that Carolina shuts everybody up. They lost a lot of talent, a lot of four-year starters. But I think what you're going to see is an overall scarier team. And I, uh, I expect them to easily cover four and a half versus Oscar. I have the same thing. Uh, number nine, Yale. Going to UMass Lowell, my home goal, more or less my Listen, hometown. Your wife. I, mar- I married. I married. A, I married a Lowellian, so I'm well aware of the dynamics <laughs> and strength of that city. <laughs> With that said, Eddie Stevens is one of the best coaches in the country. He's done an awesome job. Certainly, it played BU tough last week, um, but I think that Yale is too much. I think that Yale might be. Uh, they they just may be the best coach team in the country. I, I don't. I, I hate saying that because I can't stand Yale. With that said, those guys have done an unbelievable <laughs> job, and I see Yale uh, covering that easily. I can't stand Yale either, uh, just because obviously the both of us come from uh, Ivy League backgrounds. Uh, yep. We both can't stand Yale, but yes, I agree with you 100%. I just think they're too much. I actually 
I actually think that Yale might be able to make the Final Four. Uh, it's aggressive to say, but I think it's very, very possible. Number 10, Brown, uh, going to Quinnipiac. Uh, Quinnipiac, excuse me, short seven and a half. They're laying seven and a half. What do you got? Brown is going to roll. Brown's going to put up over 20 on Quinnipiac. Dylan Malloy and those guys are going to have a party at the Eric Fekita's expense. I love Feck. Um, but uh, I, Brown is going to steamroll. Brown, easy. I got the same thing. I, I, I think that that, that, could, that could get ugly uh, real quick. Number 11, Ohio State, giving three and a half against UMass. I've got uh, the guys in the zoo. I, I think it's just really hard, really hard to travel against a team like UMass. Listen, I, I get UMass has, has struggled. You know, in, in recent years, I get that they haven't produced what they want to, but Greg Chanella is arguably one of the best coaches ever. He's just awesome uh, to do what he's done at UMass. Uh, but I, 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 I got UMass plus three and a half here. Listen, I, I agree with you 100%. I think that, um, you know, whether UMass ultimately wins the game or not, I don't know. But yeah. they are certainly a team that's been heavy on passion. I'll never forget uh, playing UMass. Uh, my junior year up there and pick up the ball in overtime on the sidelines and having, you know, some drunk scumbag <laughs> stumble down the, the hill and tell me that, uh, you know, he was doing things to my mom. My mom was a nice lady. This guy, you know, attacked her. And needless, needless to say, uh, it was incentive to go in and stick the winner. And when I stuck the winner, I ran down the sidelines waving goodbye to the UMass fans only to have Jim McElhinney tell me later that he wanted to punch me in the face, which isn't a surprise to Jim. But um, I got UMass. I agree. UMass for the same reasons. Tough place to play on the road when they're an underdog. I like UMass to cover. Fair enough. Uh, number 13, Virginia. They dropped. That's a heavy drop for Virginia. I think they were seven prior to this, right? Uh, number yep. 13, Virginia. Uh, going to Drexel. Uh, giving three. Wow. I think, listen, uh, I got Virginia. You know, I would love to see Volks come out and beat them at home. That would be a huge win for Drexel and their staff. Um, you know, with that said, I think that, again, Virginia is like the game of golf. As soon as you think you have it figured out, it does the exact opposite. I think everybody's got <laughs> right. Virginia, and I think what we're going to see is Virginia's going to fix, you know, what didn't go so well this past weekend, and they're going uh, to beat Drexel and Philly. I, I think that line at three is really tough. I think that's a really good line. Uh, I, I have no idea. I, I think that short three, I think it's a, I think it's a pick them. I've got uh, – I'll, I'll take Virginia as well um, just because I, I, I kind of feel like maybe they'll come out. Zeddy Williams just needs a better game. He, he, he'll have a better game, no doubt. Number 15, Cornell, uh, giving one against 19 Penn State. They've got to go to Ithaca. It's the first time, I believe – that Tambo is heading up to Ithaca to play Cornell's former team. Uh, who do you got, AJ? You know what? I think that anytime you're getting off the bus in Ithaca, you're you're down three goals. Uh, <laughs> you know, but, if, but 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 if anybody can handle that, it's certainly Tambo. I think the fact that yeah, he knows Cornell. I think the fact that Cornell has struggled with an offensive identity. Uh, you know, recently certainly down the stretch of of last season and it seems like from the scrimmages while they played better against Penn this past weekend, they didn't do so well against bears. And I think Penn state has, you know, a lot of really good players that haven't necessarily 
played great since they've been at Penn State, and I think that Penn State is going to start to shock some people this season, and uh, I've got Penn State winning this game. Wow. I, Grant and Matt, the freshman from Penn State, making a huge, a Philly kid, making a huge uh, debut for uh, the Mickey Lions. I got Cornell, and, and I got Cornell because I just, and you know, going to Ithaca is the worst. Uh, number 17. Yeah. Huh? I, I think that number, a, a, a great matchup within that Cornell-Penn State game is going to be at the X. You know, Cornell's chance to win that game is if Massimilian can control the X, and he's going to have to control the X. But what people don't realize is that guy, Crimes, or however you say his name from Penn State, is lightning quick, and that front end of the whistle speed move does really, really well against the grind-out plungers, and I, I see that being the difference in the game. Huge insight right there. That's awesome. Uh, number 17, Towson uh, at home against Mount St. Mary's. T-Mac, our boy, uh, they're, they're giving their – Mount St. Mary's is, uh, you know, getting five, uh, four points. We got. Uh, you know what? This is a tough game. I think that Towson uh, has really cemented themselves as a team that wins the games that they're supposed to win. However, they're not yeah. a high-scoring game. They're not a high-scoring team. And while they have a good defense, um, you know, I think that Mount St. Mary's is is playing with a little more inspiration. I, I'm going to take I'm going to take the Mount to cover. Minus four versus Towson. I'm going to take Towson on this one. I just think it's a tough environment to play. And a shot in Adelaide. Just absolutely killing it since you've taken over at Towson. Uh, number 18, Harvard. He really has. Number 18, Harvard. Giving one and a half at home against number 20, Villanova. I'm actually going to be at that game. Who you got, A.T.? Uh, you know what? I'm going to take Mike Corrado and uh, nice. Villanova. I think that with the Fraqueros coming down there, I think Harvard's uh, obviously loaded with talent, um, and I like their close defense. But I just think that at the end of the day, Villanova is one of the best coach teams in the country. They seem to compete in, 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 in against everybody every year, and I think, that, uh, I think that they get it done. I think Villanova takes advantage of the fact that they were able to Start the spring practices a little bit sooner than Harvard. I think in the end, uh, Villanova wins a close game. I, I got Harvard. I got Harvard. I, I, you know, and I got Harvard, you know, giving one and a half. Just like I said to Yale, I mean, if it's Harvard's year, it's this year. I mean, it's every the year's Harvard's year. Every year's Harvard. Now, but, then, but, with the, with the, but with the seniors, the amount of impact seniors that they currently have, you know, there was a whole situation where the kids, you know, they ended up getting pushed the year, you know, that whole thing with the, the test and all that. Listen, if there's a year, this is Harvard's year. Uh, their defense is awesome. Like, it's on paper, it's awesome. And even not on paper, I've seen them in action. Uh, watching Jahelka go down at Brown last year, we were at that game, AT. Yeah, um, Dylan, Dylan Malloy wasn't going anywhere. And, and, and there's no bigger beast in NCAA lacrosse. And then Dylan Malloy, uh, but you saw Jahelka take care of him in that first, you know, quarter and a half before he went down with the season and the injury. I got Harvard, and I only have Harvard. I know my entire 2019 team where I'm taking up to go watch that team's obviously got Bill and over, but I'll handle I'll handle the pressure while I'm up there in the stands. Number five, an Ivy League guy. Ivy League guy. I hope Harvard wins. Uh, yep. It wouldn't surprise me, but I'm going with Villanova. 
fair enough. Number five, Syracuse giving four against number 12, Albany, in the Dome. I think the, I got the loss of Lyle, even though these guys – oh, sorry, yeah. go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I think the loss of Lyle is too much. While they did have – you know, they do have some returning guys that put up just gaudy numbers, I think right. that the offensive machine of Albany has uh, ridden Lyle Thompson – for a long, long time, and while they may end up snapping back in the second half of the year as they sort of find that, find their own identity, I think it's too much uh, on Saturday against these, or on Sunday, I'm sorry, and I, I got Syracuse uh, covering four. Yeah, I mean, Syracuse covered four with Lyle Thompson on the field. Um, right. And I, I just, you know... I, I, Listen, Albany is, is one of those teams you never, ever, ever want to schedule as a Division One coach. Never schedule them. It's an awful game to get because it's just like that's a loss waiting to happen because they will tear you up. But I just don't think for a team like Hughes uh, that's consistently traditionally done really well, I just don't think that Albany can come in and, and do it. They like just much like you said. Uh, last game of the top 20, uh, n- uh, number 16, Navy at home in Annapolis, giving five. Five. To I got, I got, got Navy all the way. Ricky Solis is his best team. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I got, I got Navy covering, covering five for sure in this game. Uh, you sat in Ricky's chair. You sat in his chair. Uh, I, I got to go Navy as well. Uh, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's a, listen, I, I think the Mount is a good team. I, I just think that Delaware should be better. Um, and I got Navy covering five. AT, we do one last piece of this. Uh, an in-your-face lax cast game of the week. Who do you got? Uh, I'm looking at BU versus High Point tomorrow. I think it's tomorrow night, I believe, but it's definitely tomorrow. Let's, I think let's take it because I think I think this is getting published tomorrow. So let's just say tonight. <laughs> so I got tonight. I got I got <laughs> BU at High Point. BU travels down south. John Torpy's game plan. Pat Tracy's game plan. Uh, I like I like High Point in a one goal victory. I think the Peluso-Talco matchup is going to be awesome. It I will think be. that that face-off matchup is a monster. I think, you know, who's the kid from Duke? Um, the kid Rowe, I believe Rowe. his name is. Yeah. Yep. You know, at Peluso, you know, you know better than anyone else, AT, that a face-off uh, matchup is just that. It's a matchup. There are times that you just match up well. And you might be a better faceoff, but you just match up. You don't match up well with that guy. I think that was the case of Peluso against the Duke guy, uh, you know, Rowe. Uh, I think that this is another indic- uh, indication as to uh, what either Peluso is going to do for the rest of the year or what Talco's continued to do since he got to be you. There is zero, zero way that from the, the day that Talco stepped on the field at BU's campus, he has and continued to be the MVP for that team. Yeah, uh, I, you got my point. I got, I got BU by a goal. Don't forget, don't forget, RT, that High Point also has uh, Alex Woodall, the best faceoff freshman in yes. the country, uh, at least based on his high school career as a one-two punch. So if Peluso isn't getting it done, they're bringing in a guy that may be even better. Um, that's, but uh, that, that that's going to be, that's gonna be 
that's going to be the, the game right there. So it's going to be interesting. You got BU. I got a high point. Um, that's right. Yep. It should, it should be a good day. Well, that's it for us uh, today. In Your Space Last Cast. Tune in next week. Get all fired up for more controversy. Follow us on Twitter at RPD Lacrosse and Lacrosse Draws. Thank you to our producers at Lax All Stars. Until then, maximize your comfort, and we'll see you next week. That's right. <laughs>